0: And we're live with another episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth so say hi.
1: Hey everybody. Uh welcome back to another episode. As you can see, Ken has returned from his uh gallivanting across the Caribbean or somewhere. I don't I don't know, like another made up place. Uh something about, you know beaches and sand. I I don't get it, but whatever. Um, And so, but we've had, you know, uh, Logic Hill's been on the last couple of weeks. Uh, We've been talking fuzzing. We've talked all sorts of uh, like strategies for analyzing apps, but kind of at a low level. So it's good to have Ken back. Um, As far as announcements go, there's not really anything going right now. Uh, I, I don't know what... Uh, conferences are going to pop up this fall. It seems like with this Delta variant and COVID, things have kind of all gone virtual again. So, I, I mean, Ken, I don't know if you've got anything on your radar. Um,
0: yeah, outside uh, of that. No, yeah. I mean, I was going to do Last Con, but then that kind of fell through. So, I don't know. Just waiting for the world to be normal again. Uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. hopefully yeah. that happens.
1: We, we all are, right? Let's be honest. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on with Lazcon. Um, That's the one in Austin, Texas. That's an OWASP conference supposed to be the 28th and 29th. I don't think we ever heard heard back. We talked about doing a, or we submitted to do a secure code review workshop there just to have people sit down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. On a, just a one day thing. Um, Not our full course, but We'll see if it, it comes back. I haven't heard anything on that. Um, otherwise, I know there's like a another virtual appsec or global appsec going on. Um, I, don't, I I mean honestly, what I would do what I'd have people do right now is probably go revisit all the talks that happened at CON because there was a lot of content that came out there, and I know they're posting it all, right? Um, but there's a the CON conference channel has a whole bunch of stuff from here let me post it up there on youtube that like i haven't i haven't been through it all yet right uh, let me drop it in here it's a uh, yeah boom cool. Looks like you're reposting it. I, I mean, that's what I would suggest people start doing and just combing through some of that content. There's going to be more that's popping out of there as far as like the AppSec Village and other places. But that's the main. That's those are all the main tracks that are there. I think the only thing that's not on it at this point is the like closing ceremonies, which raw rah it's DEFCON, but all the good content is it has been posted. Right? They they did it pretty much live. Um. I don't know. I, I mean, have you? I, I think you were pretty much out when DEF CON happened. Did you follow anything that was coming out of it? I know uh, Logie and I talked about HTTP2 and the stuff that James Kettle released, but did you see anything else?
0: I have not been like, you know, I was completely out of pocket for two weeks. And sorry, I was not focused on computer security or security or computers or any what? form of those things. Security computers. I was pretty focused on the uh, the old pina coladas and uh, R and R, so didn't catch anything yet. Sorry, Uh, but I did see that the one thing I did see was. Hold on, I'm trying to give this aggregate list that we had. Oh yeah, I got that in
1: there. I was going to put one more link. That uh, this is the Corey Doctorow's talk. Uh, Corey was on. He he did Midsummer Nights Gone with us. Last year, not midwinter, but uh, he's awesome. So uh, like, and he's got really interesting takes on privacy, and uh, it, it's not technically like computer security related, although it touches on it. Right, um, but he's always got some good rant going on. If you're not following Corey, you probably should be. Um, Let's see what else here. So there's Corey's talk as well. Yeah, but let me see what was. I was trying to think what else was in that list. I mean, that Top Hacks from Portswigger, of course, it has um, James Kettle's talk in there because it is Portswigger after all.
0: Yeah, it should, yeah. right? Yeah. It'd be weird if it didn't. Um, the,
1: the one thing I find, right, and I I don't know if you're the same way on this, right? There's a lot of deep research that comes out of Black Hat and DEF CON. Um, and some of it is relevant to to what you and I do on a daily basis, but I've always had this issue with, with those deep conferences that I don't know if it's so exploit and vulnerability focused. And by the time they actually release the talk, the vulnerability has been mitigated, right. Um, that while it's cool and usually like the techniques and other stuff you can draw from, uh, it's not as useful on a day-to-day basis as I would like it to be, uh, which is, which is kind of why I scrape things after the fact, like most of the stuff that's in there, it doesn't change my, uh, my analysis of websites, my analysis of code really all that much. Uh, Like, uh, uh,
0: do you have a different take on that? In past years, there have been like new, the new research on, like, I'm trying to think back to, (laughs) way way back um a couple talks that were interesting uh there was i forget his name um we know him he he did a uh pretty cool dot net um like attacking dot net like the 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 sort of like common issues with with dot uh, net applications uh-huh. and then there was one that was on um well actually the one you all did too was pretty cool the uh what was that tool you wrote um
1: Oh, the zero tool stuff.
0: Yeah, the zero tool stuff. Like, there. So there are. I think what I get out of those are either new, novel. Well, I say new and novel, but they're kind of variations of other vulnerabilities. But anyways, some new style of attack, but also tooling. And the only problem with the tooling, though, is every time I go to use. Well, not every time. I shouldn't say that. I should say most of the time when I go to use tools that people have developed, there is. It's just so so developed for that conference that it's hard to use. It's not always super like usable support kind of dies off. And then after like six months from when the talk, and I'm guilty of this too, six months from when the talk was uh, done, you know, the tools kind of like fallen to the wayside. So (laughs) it can be useful. Like, I don't remember if this was actually something released at DEF CON, but do you remember the tool for Oracle padding attacks?
1: Yeah, fakely.
0: Um... It was like a Java GUI and uh, you could basically try to, they tried to pad, uh, tried to pad and tried to enumerate um, uh, like, I think it was like trying to like uh, abuse view state type functionality. And yeah. uh, it yep. was, so the tool was like buggy, but I appreciated it because, you know, it was cool, but the tool was buggy for even validating that something was legitimately an issue. Um, but the research itself was super dope. So it's like, you know, it's like the, the research was, su- was really cool. I really enjoyed reading it. I think it was had value. Um, But the tooling was just kind of rough. So yeah, it's a mixture of like, Honestly, it's fun. It's more fun than it is like work-wise, you know. Well, especially like yeah. for me, dude. I handle spreadsheets these days <laughs> lately, right? I mean, I do some technical work, sure, but you know, it's like for me, what's valuable may not be valuable for someone newer in their career, you know. Yeah, or in in the in the midst of not doing like actually doing technical all day long technical work. I don't know how to say it, but I'm a manager, so. Bum, bum, boom! Oh, bum. great. Yeah. There went
1: all of our listeners. They know you're a manager on, now. Right? Um, yeah. yeah. No, no, I I, I get it, right? I, and there is something to be said about Hallway Con, right? I, I think that's that's the primary reason that I go to most security conferences anymore is number one, seeing people that I haven't seen for a while because there's always a different mix that are there. And then number two, okay, is there something that's coming out of the conference that could help me on a day-to-day basis? Whether that is something like Padding Oracle or, you know, hey, maybe I'm giving a talk. So the the speaker Hallway Con is actually quite good, right? Like I think about where I met Clint Gibbler or, you know, some of these other, uh, you know, people in our industry. And a lot of that has to do with, hey, everybody kind of puts themselves out, out there to talk about something they're interested in or they're working on. And while it may not directly affect my day to day, getting to know those smart people pushes me in other ways uh, because it does kind of keep all of us on the top of our game. So I I, like I go back and forth. I really I'm with you. I enjoy the conferences, especially after you know everything that's gone on the last couple of years. I definitely miss it, Um, and I think that's why I have such a hard time with the virtual conferences. Is that like, that's 50%, if not more of the reason that we attend, or that I attend conferences, is to foster those relationships. And without it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I could always slack or email this person or, you know, discord or whatever. um, But being in the same location, and actually having the ability to go to dinner or go get drinks, is that's a different it's a different activity. It causes different things to happen. So, yeah,
0: I I think that um, truthfully, the 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 last time I was at DEF CON a couple years ago doing the Hacker One event was actually probably from a learning perspective, easily as useful as attending any talk. I think it was really fun to watch. Again, you know, it's like if you if you've done this for any amount of Length of time, you, it's like the you've seen pretty much every variation of a vulnerability, right? So I'm not going to say that it's like, oh, I'm going to learn about new vulnerabilities at one of these events. But what I will see is like the different approaches and different methodologies that real people are using to make real money. And it's um, to me that was more useful than from a from an educational standpoint, purely from an educational standpoint, more useful than um, some of the talks I've definitely far more than some of the talks I've attended. So that was, and maybe watching the CTF too has been fun in the past um, for sure as well. Uh, I think also ShmooCon's like CTF um has always been fun to, to watch as well. And again, from like a uh, somewhat educational standpoint, been useful, but I'm with you, man. Like I, I think the real value for me these days is just getting to discuss like, and, so what are the things going on? What are the trends people are seeing with friends, with trusted folks I can, you know, sit down and have a good conversation with. I think that's the the real value. I, I wish I could have gone this year. Just didn't line up with my schedule. Um, yeah.
1: And I, I mean, yeah. honestly, that was one of the things this year that, um, you know, outside of some of the like family stuff that went on that I had to come back early, but there was, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of attendees, right? There, there were weren't a lot of people in town for Vegas or for Defcon and Black Hat, and so it felt a little
0: isolated. Um, yeah. Anyway, so well, I heard that because I had so I think three of the rep- three of three uh, three folks on on the team that I work with uh, four, I'm sorry, at least four went to um, the Def. Con Black cat mostly DEF CON uh, scene. I don't know what you want to call it. They went to DEF CON, uh, and they said they said it was really weird because of the rooms being so empty. It just had a very strange vibe. Now, three of those people I believe had never been before, and one had, and she had said the person who had gone had said that it was just it wasn't the same feeling. It wasn't the same vibe. It just it was it was an attempt. An attempt was made, but it wasn't the same. So Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and that's what you kind of expected, right? With half the content, half the villages being all online, um, being in person. You know, I kind of felt bad for those that were there for the first time to attend DEFCON. Because yeah. it wasn't, it didn't have the same, like the energy was still pretty good. And there was a lot, there was a lot going on during the conference days. But things like the DEFCON 101 track weren't there. Um, there just wasn't the same amount of village involvement that you would normally get seeing the people like working on the different CTFs. Those was all it was all virtual. Um so it was kind of this this strange mix of, hey, there's some stuff going on and it's kind of cool, but um yeah, I could just go sit in my hotel room and watch the watch the streams and you know, participate where I wanted to. Um yeah, and so I think a lot of the industry veterans or people that have been around for a few years, that's kind of what they did because there wasn't a place to go and actually sit and do that. So yeah, We're, well, here's hoping to next year, right? I know that it's going to be spread across multiple locations and you know they're planning in person. They'll probably still stream some stuff live. They always do, uh, but yeah, we'll see. At least they got another year to
0: figure that out. We'll still be doing the same shit in a year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's Come on, where's your thinking, wait, wait? Where's your faith, Ken? Where's your faith?
0: I lost my faith. <laughs> my optimism is is up, on the floor. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm probably not. It's probably going to be still a shit show next summer. So, anyways, um, now nah, I'm not at all bitter about <laughs> the last couple years. <clears throat> not at all. Um, <laughs> Cool. Anywho, uh, okay. so what do you want to get into? <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Um, I, um, I like that bumble article if you want to go through that. That was yeah, let's I think, pull, indicative.
1: Let's pull that up. I mean, this is a pretty common issue. I, I mean you just read through it. I did it like a couple of days ago. So do you wanna you wanna jump into it here? Let me post it quickly. Do-do-do-do.
0: Yeah. You're, yeah. You shared this article. So, I mean, basically it's pretty, it's okay. It, I, like I said before the podcast, it's a long Oops. read and yeah, maybe not necessarily there's, there would be nice if there was like a summary version, you know, because I think a lot of it's explaining things that, um, uh, you know, or I think you've come across this if you've ever done mobile, um, mobile app testing. In any case the idea here the gist is that uh it's walking through both um how trilateration i don't know if that's the right way to say it Uh, i just literally learned this word today as as i was reading this so trilateration i'll say that that's what it is but um basically using uh the approximate distance between various locations to another individual to kind of guess create like maybe like a Venn diagram of where they might be. That's, that's <laughs> at the highest level. That's the, that's the attack. Right. And what they well, walk I, through the story is, Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I was just going to say that the uh, like the, the idea is um, yeah. Triangulation. Right. So, and in, in distances, you know, how far you are away from someone. If you move yourself, like three or three times and take that same distance reading, it'll actually give you a exact location on where someone else is. Um, so you know th- this is a problem that most social media apps have had in the past. Like, oh, this person is two miles away from you, right? Especially dating apps. It's been a you know it's been a problem in the past. But if they're three miles away from you at this location, all right. If I move somewhere else um, and get that same like location information, and they're they're drawing like uh, circles around it. Right? Maybe we should show it because it'll be easier to to understand. will um, yeah, share it. Yeah, but once you have three locations, it basically gives you a pinpoint accurate measurement of where that person is. And where it's just an API, it's very easy to. Hey, I'm going to change my location from here to you know two miles away take that up again and then two miles away somewhere else. And all of a sudden, yeah, exactly those three, those three circles that you've made, you know, exactly where the other person is located. But that's why they call it triangulation um, because it does require three different measurements as opposed to two, right. Or one or two.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, yeah, no, like, um, all right, let me, do I need to stop? Well, I'll, you know, I'll just keep this up, whatever. Who cares? I'll keep this up for now. Yeah. Um, Oh wait, did I screw something up? I think I might have screwed something up. Hold on. Pulling
1: the pin on frag attacks.
0: Uh. I don't know. It just happened. Hold on. Let me reshare because I'm bad at this stuff. All right. So well,
1: you know, to be fair, you are a manager now. So that's
0: yeah. No. I my 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 technical work is broken up into smaller chunks these days, is all I mean. So, anyways, this is a very long article. Uh All of this is basically a story, a fake story, but it's, it's so the names in the story are kind of changed to, uh, yeah, to create a narrative that describes breaking apart an application to, um, yeah, basically be able to figure out other people's location. So, but there's a few steps here. Um, I don't know if I even need to keep this up on the screen. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just go back to it, but, um, Bottom line is, they walk through, okay, here's what this attack and this research look like for tri- trilatera- trilateration, or however you say it, with Tinder. Now we want to, in this premise, we want to figure out where our co-CEO is at, because they're doing, maybe they're going to snitch on us. To, this is a whole background story they've created, where it's like, there's two CEOs, and like one's doing something felonious, and they're worried about that person that's doing that. like, uh, the money laundering or whatever they were doing, cooking the books is worried about the other co-CEO actually uh, snitching and ratting them out. So they want to see if like they're within the one mile distance or closer rather to like the FBI headquarters in San Francisco. So that's the whole idea here in the premise of why they're trying to determine where the CEO, the co other co-CEO is at and if they're snitching on them. So they use this mobile app called, Uh, Bumble to uh, determine and use trilateration type techniques to determine where the uh, other CEO might be. But in order to do that, they have to go through all the typical things that you go through when you're um, testing a mobile app. So for instance, they bring up a few things. One is like uh, figuring out, hey, what's my user ID? Like, can I swap around user IDs to uh, you know, forge um, and spoof a location for another user, for my user. Uh, they have to bypass some image checks to validate their profile. Um, the final kind of hurdle that's uh, a sizable hurdle is that if they tamper with any requests, um, like in Burp or whatever, that uh, those request or create requests that they're going to automate and use maybe Burp to automate, <clears throat> If they tamper with it, the application rejects it because there's a hashing algorithm that gives like a signature. And if that signature doesn't match up with the, it's like HMAC validation, right? The content has has to match up. And however the content gets hashed, has to match up with the signature being sent in the header. So then they have to figure out like, how do we generate this signature so that we can, tam- and I've done, and I know i am I'm, I'm sure you've done this set. I know I've had to do this before where I had mobile applications that, that's what they do. They 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 create this little HMAC verification so that specifically your attempts at tampering um, with the request between the mobile app and a web server uh, doesn't work. Unfortunately though, most of the time this is all client-side based code. It's not hard to figure out how that's occurring. So, um, and reversing that, which is exactly what they did. I think they reversed some JavaScript or something like that to figure out the hashing function and how it worked. They were able to then automate the cha- tampering of requests and then generations of those signatures to, and the spoofing of the u- user ID to then um, basically send out incremental requests moving along a certain pattern of coordinates to then determine exactly where their co ceo steve stevington i think is the name is <laughs> actually at and if they're snitching on them so it's it's a very long read but that's kind of the gist um it's pretty t- i think it's a why i love this art why i really like this article and that you brought it up is that it's very indicative of mobile app testing like this is yep yes they talk about location-based stuff but like the ways that they get around the ways that they have to get around the protections built into the mobile app in the that the, the um, assumptions made by the developers of the mobile app is like 100% something realistic in what we see.
1: Oh, it is, right? And it's like these sort of validation functions that occur. It's, uh, yeah, it, anytime that you're trusting the client to send you data, and, and how often do we say this, right? Like, um, you know, user input is the most dangerous thing in an application. Uh, you know that's where the the attacks come from. That's where uh, we actually get exploited, and it's because we trust the user with too much. Um, and just because you've released something on an app store doesn't mean that the user can't actually see it, or someone can't pick it apart. Pick it apart, um, especially on the Android app store. You know, decompiling Java is a very simple process. Um, yeah. But what about you if it's should...
0: obfuscated?
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> then it's obfuscated. You're right; it's obfuscated. <laughs> but you know, anytime that you're doing something, you know, like encryption or like, you know, HMAC verification, you're building, uh, you know, any of that, you, you've just got to realize that people can tamper with it. Yeah, and it, yeah, eventually, that's... it's a it's a matter of when, not if. Somebody's going to screw with it. Somebody's going to make some changes. Um, somebody's going to try something out when they're bored. Uh, and especially in a in the, in the case of a bug bounty program, right? That's exactly what you want because you want to know where those edge cases are and where you have those weaknesses. But
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is that it's always cracks me. I bring that up, you know, you get it. That's tongue and tongue in cheek, but yeah. Obfuscation is like not something to hang your hat on whatsoever. No. For a number of reasons, especially if they're like a popular obfuscation tool, it's known how it's obfuscated. If it's, Hell, I mean, someone could get to your source code before the obfuscation occurs, right? Like, there's a number of ways this stuff can happen, but either way, there's always a way to reverse this stuff. So it's kind of silly to to um hang your hat on that. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's a. It's just a matter of time, right? And like a dedicated attacker isn't gonna be scared away by obfuscation. Yeah, not at all. They won't, and eventually, like anything that they control or that they're running on their own hardware, right? As a as a consumer, as a client user of the application, is something that can be tampered with. Uh, whether that's a user ID, whether that's a you know, yeah, whether that's a waiting room ID. I mean, maybe this feeds in pretty pretty closely to my to my new story. Um, oh yes, and, and, and I haven't told Ken about this yet, and actually. Um, I'm wondering how far I should take it, right? Because we go are as
0: far as possible. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, tell us everything. <laughs> to tell no, I actually, everything. I, I do want to hear everything, so go for it.
1: <laughs> and I do have screenshots. Okay, so this all starts. Uh, this is going to be um, adventures in virtual waiting rooms, right? Um, it's it's becoming a series now, which is not something that I intended. Um, those of you that have been in my in the course or listened to, you know, some of my talks in the past have heard me talk about uh, the waiting room, you know, exploit, quote unquote, that I did years ago going to a Chelsea soccer match in London, right? where I had to wait to buy a ticket. And I looked in the URL and it put me into like a waiting room, right, like group ID of seven or something like that. Right. So I changed the group ID and was able to buy tickets like 45 minutes before I should have been able to. Woohoo. Right. Like still paid for the tickets, but it, I jumped the line. Um, and this is uh, like this sort of waiting room functionality exists all over the web. And like, I run into it, you know, again and again, and, uh, you know, just, okay. All right. So yesterday, and uh, you know, th- there's probably very few people that listen to our podcast that actually like do this. You know, well, whatever. Right. Okay. So yesterday, uh, I'm trying to decide if I should actually state names and shame,
0: and yeah, but... just just like make up random, just like yeah, um... I
1: don't know,
0: just make up random stuff. Call it Steve Stevington.
1: <laughs> yeah, Steve Stevington. I, I'm trying to figure out how, like, yeah, I mean, eventually I'll, I'll I'll give the full like full rundown. Um, but okay, so there was uh, you know, a specific event. That I wanted to go to, right? Um, and like we wanted to be able to attend and buy season passes too. And they released all of the season passes yesterday. And of course, right, there was such a rush on these season passes that you got put into a virtual waiting room. Uh, now, the virtual waiting room, um, of course, uh, like it, like when I started looking at the API calls that were making, that was making back and forth to a, you know, a status check to see whether or not I could actually buy the, the tickets yet was giving me, you know, timings around, okay, this is when you started to, you know, sit in the waiting room, here's a waiting room ID and the waiting room was some GUID, right? Some GUID value. And um, then there was like, how, like when they estimated I would actually be able to buy tickets. Um, Now, when we, the estimation was, it was giving me was like eight, 10 hours in the future. Right. Um, and after, you know, I'm working during the day, I had this up in the background and I'm like, man, this is just taking way too long. Right. And so like, I want to be able to buy the tickets. I know they're available. There's people that that are purchasing them right now. Um, so let's start and start doing some splunking. So of course I fire up Burp Suite, I open it up, you know, the new one is still like The new GUID that's given to that session is still 10 hours in the future when I check the status API. Um, And I start thinking about it, and I'm like, wait a second. Go back to the main waiting room page, and I notice that the waiting room GUID is actually displayed down at the bottom of the page. All right. So if that's displayed down there, it means that other people are seeing different GUID values. And of course, no one else is going to uh, you know, think that that's a protected value. No one else is going to be worried about it. And so what do I do? I take the term, uh, I go look on Twitter for hashtag event name and look to see what other people are experiencing with that event. Um, after about two minutes of spelunking, I see somebody's iPhone screenshot of their waiting room page with the (laughs) ID at the bottom. (laughs) And I take that over to burp suite and I'm like, Hey, interrupt my next status request, change my ID, my GUID waiting room ID value from, you know, the one that I had, which was now at like seven and a half hours to this one that I just, I just scraped off of Twitter. Hey, look! I can order tickets in fifteen minutes now instead of seven and a <laughs> half hours. That's well, awesome. Anyway, so at, yeah, at some point, I'll, I'll you know we'll, we'll put out the actual like event when it happened. I am talking to a couple of people about it, so and who it was. But uh, uh, suffice to say, it's a it's a very large, uh, well known company that's out there and yeah I mean it's just not one that you would think would be be an issue. The whole problem though came back to this fact that they had that i d value and they were displaying it right on the page as people as it was reloading the page every you know forty five seconds or whatever it was.
0: I have to admit, I was like, Oh, maybe he's gonna figure out some cool way to reverse the uh <laughs> the way they're generating goo. It's <laughs> some sort of like uh, nope, just straight up <laughs> check Twitter for people that posted.
1: I, that was, that that was my first, like my first indication was like, ah, man, there's this good value crap. Right. And I did like the UUID uh, decoding it's uh, you know, a V4, a UUID, right. And so I knew like what they were using to generate them. But if you know anything about UUIDs, they're extremely hard to predict without that key. Right. Uh, And so, yeah, it was, yeah. Once I noticed that down at the bottom, I was like, sweet. Right. Like it just... (laughs) Anyway, it was it was it was a fun distraction. My wife was excited, cool. you know.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's, there's got to be there's got to be some benefit to uh, to to having this <laughs> skill set outside of work, you know. That's no, but uh, that's pretty cool, man. That's that's actually it's funny. It just yeah, I I you know it's I don't get put into many situations where there's like a waiting room, but um, like a virtual waiting room like that. But it's super, yeah, it's, it's
1: most of the time it's related fun. to you know concerts like ticket pre-releases um and and it's very common that they don't think about like the developers don't necessarily think about hey someone's going to try and bypass the waiting room because it's not i mean it's not super sensitive right um I'm not like, I'm still paying for the tickets. I'm still purchasing what I want, but I'm just able to do it in a quicker manner or I'm able to get better seats, like in the case of Chelsea. Uh, In this case, like, I hope I didn't bump somebody too bad, right? Like, But we're talking thousands of people that do that or that like are buying these these tickets. So it's a drop in the bucket. I doubt the developers noticed anything out of the ordinary. Blogs probably didn't show anything. yeah, so it like, I mean, it it almost feels like a victimless crime, but then it's also like, oh crap, I just like forced my way in, and I was that jerk that just jumped the line. But it's a virtual waiting room, right? I yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Eh, it is what <laughs> it is, <laughs> you know. Um, no, yeah. that's really that's really cool, man. That's because eight to ten hours, who knows, it might you, things might have been gone by that time, and yeah. yeah uh Larry brings up a good point about uh tickets uh, ShmooCon DerbyCon tickets man i got to tell you that used to bother me so much shmoocon's ticketing system i was like just yeah i won't get into it cuz i think yeah. we've talked about it before but that used to drive me crazy i'm like just go with a provider i'll pay 5 extra bucks for the fee or whatever if it was that i think it was actually like more than that so that's but anyways just it was yeah. so frustrating it was like not, it was just I, just, I don't know if it's still like that because I haven't tried to go to Schmook on to be honest with you, in a long time. Um, actually, yeah, I mean. primarily because I was frustrated by the ticketing system.
1: Yeah. Yep. And that, so I yeah. stopped.
0: I was just like, whatever. I don't care anymore. It's too hard.
1: Give mm-hmm. me a way That's to crazy. bypass it and we'll do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I just, yeah. But, anyways, uh, that used to drive me nuts. DerbyCon. DerbyCon's no longer going on anymore, right? That's officially done as a conference. Yeah.
1: Yep. Derby's gone. I don't know. I don't know what Schmook Did they do virtual last, last year? Yeah, I don't
0: know. Although that's a pretty timely uh, for, for Derby to bow out. They kind of got. They got know, it right. Yeah. They got <laughs> it right. Yeah. It was right before everything kind of just closed down. So, hey, kind of worked out, you know, wasn't going to be able to be a conference anyways for the next couple of years. So. Worked out in some way, but yeah. uh, that's cool, man. That's are always fun. And also I just love that you didn't even, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just like, let me go down this technical rabbit hole. It's like the simplest possible solution. Let's see if anybody's post a picture of their good. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> well, that, uh, yeah, that was it. Cause you know what people get frustrated, right? Like we all do. You're sitting in this, you're like, Oh, I'm going to go buy these tickets. And then you're like, holy crap like I've been sitting here for 45 minutes and this page just keeps ro- loading and there's a little like uh, counter down at the bottom that basically like oh you're like you know you're, you're only 10% of the way through this line uh, yeah and so you know somebody's taking a screenshot of that and complaining about it on Twitter that's just yeah oh, it absolutely. Is what it is yeah and it's it it's the people that we don't per- predict as developers right like i i i always go back to that right like people are going to do stuff that you didn't intend um and i know like the developers like that good value they probably didn't even really think about it right they displayed it on the screen in case that they needed it for support reasons and they just didn't realize that i could use it for support reasons as well or somebody else that realized what what was going on so mm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so I, it was a fun little distraction for me yesterday, and you know, adventures in virtual waiting rooms. We'll, we'll do a complete series at some point. I do have screenshots, and that I need to anonymize a little bit before I, I release them completely. Um, and but yeah, we will, we will at some point we can revisit it.
0: Yeah, I do uh, did want to post real quick, just a bit of news was just this whole interesting i was just interesting um that the founder of um, uh, helix bitcoin tumblr slash mixer service has uh pled guilty in a 300 million dollar bitcoin laundering service so effectively it's hard it's impossible to trace the um origins and owners of bitcoin due to this service um moved over three hundred and fifty thousand bitcoin uh again valued at over 300 million um and so this person is located out of uh, akron ohio um yeah it's just more of just an interesting thing i kind of wanted to uh to to bring up you know it's like it's It's just funny to see, I guess that's that's why it's it's just more interesting. I don't know if there's any commentary you want to provide on that, but I did think it was just uh fairly interesting overall
1: uh, I, yeah, um my, I did unmute didn't I um I don't know, having like looked at some of those and dealt with some of the developers in the in the site or the cryptocurrency space. It's it's really wild west. Um, it it still a lot. Of, yeah, step on talks about that.
0: Yeah, there,
1: there's there, there's a lot of trust and a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of money that's involved, and anytime you get that, there's a lot of people that'll jump on it just from a how much can I get away with perspective. And it's not always super technical attacks, right? It's like, oh, look, there's this wallet that's available, or it's sitting out there and easy to get to. I'm just going to take everything that's in it, and transfer it some other place, right? Um I mean, the, the laundering of that is, is super interesting.
0: Yeah, because I, I wasn't, I assumed something like this would exist, but I wasn't aware it, it, it you know, did exist, and so to see that someone. Actually has a Department of Justice uh, plea agreement and has talked about like the full details of how it's done. And um, yeah, hold on. Let me give you another article linked from that first one here. Also, one other thing before we hop off is I did want to post a new article by Maya i don't even know how to say her last name um Kazerowski about burnout but oh, um yeah yeah but uh, anyways going over yeah so uh sorry did i actually post that link let me look <laughs> i got distracted for a second yeah i did okay let me put it in our general as well uh, so yeah it just gives you a little bit more um information actual um yeah you know on the actual like how it works and everything
1: plea agreement and what actually happened there
0: yeah yeah it's it's super interesting but i guess it's it's primarily for like dark dark web uh customers
1: oh
0: man the terms they use here are hilarious, <laughs> software God, programming <laughs> God, what was that did it say something like that? Oh my goodness, it's so funny, yeah, this is a long indictment i mean i I just think it's our uh plea agreement you know, tell my advisor services the darkest space of the internet uh, yeah, well and it gets, oh, I'm glad that they yeah.
1: It gets super complicated, right, on a, on a low level, what's going on with, with things like Bitcoin, right, um, as they're transferring in and out of different wallets and who's got control of them. And then, like, you've got shared wallets, uh, you've got... And so, like, you can see where, when you are moving around hundreds of millions of dollars, it becomes very appetizing to certain people to just shave things off the top, right? Especially if they aren't already in that, uh, in the financial space and are used to dealing with those amounts of, of that amount of money, right? Um, yeah. Because, you know, honestly, most people, you know, 1% of that is going to change their life. And so like being able to figure out a way or figuring out a way to skim a tiny bit of, off the top feels like, oh, well, no one's going to notice, because we're moving so much and it's just a drop in the bucket. And voila, all of a sudden, you know, yeah, you, you run into a situation like this where you're laundering that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Well, I'm glad they did catch them because they are enabling some, some bad stuff. Did, did look like some other companies uh, got dimed out or other entities got dimed out uh, having partnered with Helix, uh, Bay, Evolution, Cloud9, et cetera so uh yeah exactly so anyways just more interesting than anything and then again like i don't really you know we don't have to go into depth here but i'm just trying to get some of the, the last bit of news that i wanted uh, to uh yeah i didn't see the question about um until just now about making tutorials for beginners i think that's a good idea i I know we've done that in the past, but not in any recent, not in a coherent series, just like one-off blog posts and and just you'd have to like take together all of this stuff. So I think actually what might be better is either we create a list of things that we've already built out and put it into a list and like that's sort of the direction to get started or uh, repackage it. We can discuss that, Seth. yeah yeah.
1: well that 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 was part of it today i mean uh you you posted the burnout blog um the the other thing that we wanted to show right we were talking about starting to do just small snippets and we're starting to cut up some of the videos that we've done from podcast previous podcast episodes we'll post them to our channel on this is how you do x right um you know especially with uh with things like burp and her burp suite and even you know as simple as looking for user enumeration or cross-site scripting and why that works that's something that we could we could definitely jump into yeah um but let's look oh, i haven't actually pulled up that podcast i remember she
0: posted that maya used to work at github um i believe uh, uh-huh so i'm not sure if but I am curious about how this, uh, basically I think if I was to TLDR this, it's like working many hours with many, many calendar slash zoom style things without making any, uh, real progress, progress, not feeling like you're making any progress, um, day in and day out being the same. Um, and I guess saying, You know, honestly, it's not one thing that was what caused her burnout. It was, you know, probably what a lot of people are feeling, Um, especially during this pandemic. I've noticed that trend. I've talked to a lot of friends who this seems to be a problem for a lot of people um, where it's just sort of the same thing day in, day out, uh, feeling tired all the time, not feeling productive, feeling a little listless. Um, And anyways, so but her response to, to, to burnout was the same back four years ago when I had some pretty extreme burnout, um, you know, kind of took a similar approach, but for me, that was like, I took two and a half months to just do nothing with work, any sort of work related stuff. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that, but, uh, you know, it, like it was, it was, it was, a. Uh, very necessary. I mean, you know, I've, th- I've talked to you about it, but like it was just a lot of going for long walks, a lot of going to the pool, a lot of like doing things that have nothing to do with computers. And then eventually, like I started being like, oh, I want to I want to actually write code again. I want to look at stuff. And then that's when I kind of knew it was it, things were getting better. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, taking, and- if you can take time off, I mean, I know not everybody can do it, but if you can take time off, do it. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, I like I'm with her on the whole like filling like everybody went remote all at the same time and then decided to fill their schedules with with virtual meetings. Right. Um, at least th- this is what I was feeling um, instead of this kind of like, uh, you know, your your standard in the office drive by, ask a quick question and move on. It became, all right, I'm going to have this like formal 30 minute hour long meeting to talk about something that really should only take an email or a Slack message or, you know, a drive-by question. And like I got, I, personally, I got to this point where, or I'm at this point where I don't want to attend like virtual Zoom meetings, right? Like am I, yeah. I, I I push back where I didn't before, right? Especially when everybody went virtual in this, initially. I was like, sure, you know, we can meet and talk about that. We can meet and talk about that. And then I'd look at my calendar and I'm like, crap, I have a meeting like every hour on the hour, the whole day. There's nowhere for me to actually concentrate and get work done. Right. Uh, and and so I started to push back. I was like, hey, like, why, why can't you just send me this? Right? Like, why do we have to talk about it? and and pretend like we're interested i I wouldn't say it in those terms but that's basically what it was there's no reason that we need to have a a virtual discussion on this um and you know in person it probably wouldn't have been the same i wouldn't have pushed back quite as much but uh, virtually it just it it does it feeds into this like cycle of crap i don't feel like i got anything done today at least personally
0: yeah and actually so larry brings up this this question
1: uh oh,
0: that's great. um <laughs> I'm not sure about you guys, but I went from having fifteen percent time spent in meetings for projects and status to like forty percent. I would say it's more like gone from for me fifteen percent to say like seventy percent and um again, this is something I'm hearing happen. I don't know why we're spending collectively even at different entities and different organizations so much time in these Zoom meetings, I suspect part of it is a lack of um, comfortability with asynchronous work style stuff. Um, However, that doesn't explain why it's happening to someone like myself who works for a company who is async first anyways. In that case, I'm still struggling to explain it, but I think it's the speed has changed of what people want to decide, like how they want to, how quickly they want things to get done and decisions to be made. I think, I don't know. Like, honestly, I'm, there's probably a lot of factors to it, but for whatever, for whatever reason, it's definitely on the rise, it seems like. So it's not just you. It's a lot of us. Yeah. Everyone I know really, honestly.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I know I've been dragging, right. Like I keep trying to find like little ways to, you know, you know, get out and about, right. Like I had to hire like project manager and people to help do business development stuff and just push things through as a small company. Cause I couldn't do it anymore. Right. I just right. was, I got to this point that I'm like, okay, I'm trying to deliver and actually do technical work. And then all of the, Hey, I'm helping, or I'm running a business on top of that. Um, like mentally was taking a huge toll on me. Um, yeah. And then since then it's helped, but it's also just a difficult uh,
0: man. Yeah. It's just tiring. Right. That's, it's that's a different, what it is. It's a different, you're still managing something though. You're still, it doesn't completely offload your effort. No. Um, it allows you to focus hopefully on the things you're really good at, but then there's always that thing of like, every time you have to give something off to someone else, then there's other types of work involved in, you know, outsourcing to someone else. So it's, it's like uh it's, it is what it is. <laughs> it's, but like for me, one thing that I'm doing to it to address this, if it helps anyone else is uh, blocking off com- like literally just putting blocks in my calendar, of, like no meeting zones. Um, also I've started to make sure that I do like walk away, go, go. And if stuff falls on the floor, it's just, it's going to be the next day that I get back to it. You know what I mean? Like it's just going to have to be that way because it, nobody, I'm not, I'm not willing personally to like do a full day of meetings and then get work done. You know what I mean? That yeah. doesn't. So, yep. anyways, uh, so yeah, that's my tip. I don't know if any, you know, again, not everybody's got as much control over their schedule. It, it, it's different for everyone.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, you know, part of this is you know my own making, right? Like it's i you know, the victim of my own success as far as like, hey, running a small consulting firm. Um, and yeah. And then like having people want me to do work, which is a great problem to have. Um, but then it's, you know, you get, you get through with that eight hours or whatever a day, there's still stuff that has to be done. Right. That's, that, that's the curse of being a small business owner and not being able to walk away from it truly, you know, ever is it's really what it boils down to, um, so there's kind of that, that founder slash like small business dilemma that's, that's going on in my head at all times. And I can understand why people after, you know, a few years of it are finally like, you know what, I'm done with this. Like, we're going to find an exit strategy because it's it takes a lot. it, yeah. it does. Right.
0: And speaking of that, there was a question about your business, uh, oh, Redpoint yeah. Security. Redpoint Security. Yeah. Yep. It's just a small, so it like it's a
1: boutique application security. We do a lot of secure code review. Funny that, right?
0: <laughs> I don't get it. Why? I, yeah, why? Why
1: is that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, your bread and butter for sure. Um, yep. So. Uh,
1: Let's see. What else do we want to go? Do we want to, do you want me to demo? Uh, maybe we should really quick. May as
0: well give. Um, oh yeah. I've got, that would a, be amazing.
1: I've got Burke sweet up. Um, okay. Uh, so let me share this really quick. And do, do, do. I'm just going to share my entire screen and I know it's going to do a weird thing here for a second.
0: <laughs> ah, okay. Oh, uh, John pool. And by the way, mentioned, um, we should, he mentioned stream deck, uh, by Elgato. Um, So I just, uh, for what it's worth, um, maybe we should consider that at some point. I'm just saying, don't forget it.
1: Okay, we'll take a look at it, right? Okay, so this is Vulnerable Task Manager. Ken and I are very familiar with this application. We use it for code reviews and I use it for demo uh, training purposes. I have Burp Suite up. Um, We went into the proxy. I clicked on open browser to actually open up the browser that's, that's, built into Berk Suite, uh, You'll notice I, I'm using the professional version here, but the, this does work on the community version if you want to as well. But what you'll notice is like, it's sending traffic back and forth. This is what you wanna see. Um, this VTM, it's, it's you know somewhat password protected, um, but we get to the login screen. Uh, this is what you see here. What I'm gonna demo today is actually brute forcing usernames and passwords. There's two flaws on the login page that we're gonna look at. First is user enumeration. And then second is uh, brute forcing of passwords. So the first one comes from the fact that, you know I, I put in something, a username, uh, something that doesn't exist. You'll see, I get this back, this invalid username. Please try again. Okay, um, now what if I put in something like my name? Cause I know there's an account, but the password is bogus. Login failed. There's obviously logic behind the scenes that is allowing for the enumeration of users based on the error message that's being returned here. This is a very simple check. This is a a vulnerability that actually I find in probably 90% of the applications that I test. Not necessarily on the login page, but it's an authentication vulnerability associated with identifying users during the authentication phase. So the VTM, the task manager is vulnerable to it within this, uh, you know, within the login page itself. And we'll notice that there were these post requests, right, uh, to login that actually contain the username and password, right? Here's the username that didn't exist. Um, and the response was 200. And then there's, a, you know, the same things here with, okay, there's Seth. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually take that request that gave login failed and push it to Intruder. Intruder is a utility built into Burp Suite that allows us to run attacks quickly against a specific endpoint. Uh, so we'll stick with a sniper attack. That means I'm just going to send the same payload to um, a location in this in this request. Uh, I I eliminated the other. Um, places that I'm interested in, right? Like the only place that I'm interested in right now is this username field. Uh, the rest of them don't matter to me right now. So I'm going to attack that username field, and I'm gonna drop different payloads into it. Uh, so I've, I've defined the positions, it's going to VTM. And then I'm gonna to jump to payloads and I'm gonna add just a list of usernames, right? This, is, this comes with the paid version of Burp Suite uh, what is it? There's something like eight thousand different usernames that exist in there. We could create a list. We could pull a list of usernames from SEC lists or other locations. This is the the built-in one that's that's for Burp Suite. Um, but realistically, to act, to run this attack, that's all I've got to do. The other thing that's going to be interesting though is actually doing some sort of payload. Oh no, not payload processing here. Let's see what is it. Uh, the matching, right? I want to actually extract from the response whether or not that login failed exists. So I'm gonna add a new extraction item. You'll see here's the response. Let's look for login. Where is that message? Um, Maybe that's not it. Oh, where am I at here? Uh, and now I'm I'm
0: losing it. Sorry. Now live demos are always fun. Yeah,
1: that's Thank what you. that's what I happened here. So, uh, okay, never mind. We're just gonna look at it. Well, no we yeah. should. Dang it! Uh, what am I why am I not seeing this here? That's the login sign up body content. Oh, there we go. Apparently, I missed it. Okay, all right, so we're just gonna extract that out where it says login failed, please try again, all right? Um, okay, at which point it's actually gonna show us in the response what's going on. So I've got everything to find. let's start that attack and see what happens. Okay, so anywhere that it says login failed, please try again means it's a valid username. Um, and you'll see it's going fairly quickly here, You know, we've already run 500, 600 attempts. Um, But we can start to look and see, okay, it looks like there are a number of known accounts, right? Uh, There's an admin account, Allie, Austin. And the first one is just mine. This request zero is the Seth account that I used initially. Uh, But I've got to give it time to parse through all of these. And Ken, maybe we'll just show user enumeration today. We can do other ones next time around. We can do password brute forcing, um, just given the time constraints that we're on today. But uh, you'll see as we spin through this, like all these different accounts that exist, and I could have chosen a smaller list because it is a live demo, but we are getting the responses back that we want as a developer or as a, you know, someone that's monitoring the system itself. I, sh- I would be seeing these requests go back and through, back and forth with the, the database and, um, I would see quite a bit of activity and the failures that were happening all coming from the same IP. so there's probably some monitoring that needs to be happening behind the scenes and I could lock that out. but you'll notice that I'm not getting slowed down the the service itself is just sending responses again and again um, and I probably could have done more uh, you know threads on this. it's doing a single thread um, but there you go, right like we've got you know within. I guess what two minutes. We've actually got what ten or twelve different valid user accounts, just based on the fact that the user, the login form is giving, um, yeah, is giving a response that validates the user, uh, and you know all of these. We could probably go back to timing attacks or something else if we had to, but the the messages that are re- that are displayed on that login page are extremely useful to me as an attacker, because what's the next step here, Ken, after I get a list of usernames?
0: If you have a list of usernames, you're gonna brute force passwords.
1: Yeah, yep. We'll do the same thing. We'll turn it around, we'll brute force force passwords next, and we'll take this this payload, there we go, there's the Seth account.
0: And you'll make sure that, uh, you know, you're aware of the lockout restrictions, you know,
1: Yep. Things like yep. That. All that all that kind of stuff, right? Um because we do we probably won't use like 8000 different passwords on this, but you know, specifically if I wanted to attack, you know, let's see what Ken's password here. And do you want me to show this? Do you have time Ken for me to finish doing a brute force on a password? Yeah,
0: yeah go for it.
1: Okay. All right. So we know that there's okay, so we finished there like looked at 9000 or whatever and we've got a list of, you know, what 10, 15 different usernames that exist in the application. We know that there's the Seth one, there's Ken. I'm going to pick on you because that's going to be fun, right?
0: Always uh, fun. Always,
1: always fun. Yes, exactly. So what I'm going to do is actually come back to that same request because I know that there is something going on here um, and you know, change that value. We're going to change up the, we're going to clear it out. But instead of looking at the username field, because we know that Seth and Ken both exist, we're going to look at this, this password field instead. So I'm going to add my target there, and then I'm going to change my payloads up, right? So we'll clear out whatever you've got there. I'm going to add from a list. And, you know, we got this nice password list that's in there, too. Looks like there's 3,000 of them. Uh, I don't think that we lock out. I'm actually fairly certain that we don't, but we're going to force <laughs> through that as well.
0: I would be very skeptical of any lockouts. I'd be skeptical
1: any. if it, yeah. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually remove that extraction as well because we don't need that for this this demo. That's 3,000 different. Um, this would be the time, though. I would
0: probably point out to people about the fact that cookies like you typically, when you're brute forcing, remove session cookies just in case uh, people are trying to set a counter inside the session. So what that means is sometimes when you send invalid requests, they'll say, hey, put a invalid request plus one on this person's session. And so the actual controls on the session value, this has happened before for sure many times. Um, So that's why you always tend to remove the cookie just so that like you're not tracked in your invalid attempts by the session.
1: Yep, yep. Um, Good, so I think that's everything on that. So I'm gonna do the same thing. We're just gonna start that attack. And you'll notice there's a status of 200 on all of these. Um, like, what, I, what I'm looking for is anything that's not the same, right? Whether that's the length or whether that's the status. Right. And I'm going to keep flipping back and forth, but we'll let it run through these 3,000 attempts and then actually see if there is something here that allows for you know access if i was going to be smart about it i would probably create an account first and look and see what the response looks like when we are logging into an application but as i just i just found this login page i found that there was user enumeration and there was no restriction on attempts to log in i'm just going for it right Um, i wouldn't necessarily do this against uh, most applications especially if you don't have permission to test against them right that's probably a bad thing uh but we'll we'll let this one spin through all the way okay so it finished let's see status status oh man doesn't look like we actually cracked anything there and i failed because i picked the wrong account jeez
0: that's because this gen guy is super secure super secure and dope and awesome and handsome and has good typing skills (laughs) and a lot of other cool things.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it, Like, you know, so we'll try it against Chris because that was another one that was in there. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, The problem is the, you know, the passwords maybe aren't in this password list that we pulled up, right? So there Mm -hmm. might be a different way that we have to target them.
0: Also for those that are curious or maybe don't know, When you know that there is an account lockout, say, three bad passwords or something like that, whatever it might be, you'll tend to enumerate once or twice all the usernames or email addresses, whatever you've collected. Uh, And then inevitably, someone will have a super weak password. And obviously, it's very common to just use the name of the website, one name of the website, one, two, three, whatever. Right. So inevitably someone will have a terrible password password requirements only go so far. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And
1: you'll see that here. Oh, I think I just saw something change. All right. So this was Chris, right? Let's look at status. Oh, there we go. Okay. So payload 302 length is 801. You'll notice that that's completely different than every other request that has gone on here. Um, so let's take a look and see if we can log in with that. Chris test one, two, three was the password that was used. Voila. Now we're into the application. Um, we're using Chris's account and yeah, I I mean, that's it, right? Like we, we, we successfully enumerated user accounts that exist and exploited the fact that there was no brute force protection by logging into one of the users that had signed up. Um, now, this source code is out out there and available. If anybody's interested, I could point you at it. But it is, um, again, it's a intentionally vulnerable application that has these flaws in it, so you can test things out against it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. I'm actually trying to talking. find the
0: PTM. Uh, it's on GitHub, right? Is it under yours? Or...
1: Um, yeah. Let me see if it's under... Might be under red point sec. Yeah, it's under red point sec VTM now. Okay. Here I'll post it.
0: Yeah. Still so didn't the... hack Ken's account though. So I know. Ken, Same. you're the
1: winner. Yes. <laughs> Woohoo! Get no prize. <laughs> Get no prize. <laughs> Internet points. <laughs> you win. Sweet. All right. So that's user enumeration and brute forcing um you know if anybody is you know I, I i'd encourage you to go try that out on other vulnerable applications as well whether that's juice shop and things like that there's there's a ton of them out there that you can play with or try to find it in a bug bounty because it does exist and if you can do it you can earn some money finding it so, um cool so yeah ken anything else for today
0: nope i'm hungry i'm gonna go eat <laughs>
1: okay yeah me too all right we'll go have a
0: nice uh nice uh, yeah Yeah.
1: nice chatting yep good to have you back uh from your vacation and everything and we will talk to everybody next week
0: bye (laughs) thanks for listening thanks for listening